Welcome all and thanks for tuning in to the Build Me A Brewery podcast. You're listening to part three and the final episode of our licensing and government compliance segment. In this episode, I managed to line up a chat with Mayor Darcy Byrne from the Inner West Council. Now Darcy, he's a big craft beer enthusiast who has been a big advocate for the craft beer scene that has sprung up in Sydney's Inner West for the past eight to ten years now. He and other contributors have played a very big role in lobbying for better regulations across all levels of government to try make it easier for new breweries to open up and operate. He also helped launch the Inner West Brewers Association that includes original members such as Wayward Brewing, Grifter, Willie the Boatman, Young Henrys and others as well. In our chat, I talk with Darcy about how he came to have a passion for the craft beer industry dealing with local councils, the challenges still facing breweries opening up in regards to untangling red tape and what efforts have been made previously and currently for improving conditions for the craft beer industry. So I hope you all enjoy my chat with Mayor Darcy Byrne from the Inner West Council. Welcome Mayor Darcy Byrne to the Build Me A Brewery podcast. Thanks for coming on, mate. G'day, pleasure to be with you. And uh, like we're talking off air, you know, we finally managed to spare an hour with each other. I know it's been a, you're you're a busy man and I was really keen to get involved in the podcast because I know how passionate and involved you have been, especially in your council area for for the craft beer industry. And, and, you know, that's absolutely booming that area. It's uh, probably one of the highest concentration of breweries in, in the country. I'd like to get more of your thoughts on, I guess, the inner workings of how that all came to be. But just to, I, I guess, give the audience a bit of background about yourself, are you able to tell us a bit about yourself, your career within local government, etc.? Well, I was previously the mayor of Leichhardt uh, and then Leichhardt, Ashfield and Marrickville councils were all first forcibly amalgamated by the New South Wales government. And so we were all removed from office and then 18 months later they held an election for the new Inner West Council and I was elected as, as the first mayor of the Inner West. And what with that, I think, comes a responsibility to actively support and promote craft beer because we are essentially, uh, as has happened organically, the national capital of, um, of craft brewing. And that's something that's happened really against the odds because the as we'll get into when we, we discuss it a bit later, that the planning system isn't really designed to encourage new breweries to open. And in fact, the tax system isn't either. So it's certainly an issue that people in Marrickville in particular, but really right across the inner West, are very enthused about. It's become a, an important part of our local culture as well as our local economy. So I, I've, you know, for the last few years really dived right in to work as closely as I can with local brewers to try to overcome some of the obstacles that they're facing. Excellent. So so where did the the passion come to be for the craft beer industry? Um, you know, do you have a story behind it all? And uh, It's not that romantic. I've always liked drinking beer, uh, <laughs> so I didn't need to be convinced about that part. Um, I'd always been more of a mainstream dr- um, beer drinker, but realised um, when I was running to be mayor of the inner west, that given this was such an important emerging industry and a, a cultural change that had been really embraced by the local community, that it was important for me to actually put forward policies and ideas about how we would boost the sector. And then, of course, I realised that I would need to um, actually become a bit more proficient in drinking craft beer. Um, <laughs> so I, I used to stick to uh, low carb beers really just to try to look after my waistline a bit so I've had to um, 
had to expand my horizons, which has been a very good experience. And um, I think the other thing about the, uh, the breweries in our area is that each of them are really sort of little local institutions. So there's a lot of community activity that goes on around the brewery in the bar. Uh, they've become a meeting place, a bit like the Bolo used to be or the RSL. So that's, you know, that, there's an important community element to it as well. And I've found that all of the, all of the, the people who are involved in setting up breweries, they're generally people who are very interested in community engagement and they're not just worried about their bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, the the theme I'm getting from all my guests so far is, you know, it's it's a hard slog to to become extremely profitable in this sort of um, industry. You know, low margins, high volume, and but a lot of people tend to do do it for the love of craft beer and, and the community side. I know, you know, Pat from Willie the Boatman is is very much a, I guess, a, a good image and and story to to sort of um, use as example for that. He's very much a community man and local man. So, and that's exactly what I guess especially with COVID, it's starting to uh, have this push towards local rather than global. So um, I'm, I'm yeah. thinking that, you know, these sort of uh, ventures of, of opening up new breweries in, in areas all over over the country and, and Sydney is, is possibly going to be a big push in the coming years. But uh, I guess before we get into a bit more about the council and, and lobbying efforts for the craft beer industry, uh, I don't know if you want to choose favourites. I know you're you're um, sort of a representative of uh, the inner west, but uh, any favourite breweries or beers that you've come to like? Definitely not choosing favourites. I learned a long time ago when you're the politician and you go to the <laughs> uh, to the children the children's art prize. Don't be the person who picks the winner. Be the person that just gives out the prizes because everybody else who you didn't pick remembers a lot more than the person that you did give a um, give an award to. Yeah, uh, yeah. But the truth is, that there's some very interesting characters in the inner west craft beer scene but you, you you mentioned pat mcinerney I, that was really my introduction to craft brewing was um i, I knew pat sort of tangentially and um i, I was mates with a, a friend of his who passed away named um named uh, peter who uh he well all of their beers are named after local characters yeah um and so that was I thought that was a very interesting and quirky thing that they weren't just producing a product but they were integrating stories from the local community and the history of the area into the products that they were producing and of course probably his most famous product has been the elbow ale the corn ale yes um, yeah. um, I think Anthony's rightly proud of being the only uh, politician in Australia other than Bob Hawke to have a beer named after him and it's a really good beer <laughs> yeah it um, is. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it helps that um, helps that Anthony's brought, brought a certain profile to it, but I don't think it would have worked if it hadn't also been a good drop. Uh, I don't think I'd ever tried a corn ale before that. Um, so, and then, yeah, Pete Phillip, um, I've known a long time as well from Wayward, who was, you know, intimately involved in setting up the, the Inner West Brewers Association. So I've got to know just through um, direct liaison and, and trying to um, support their businesses and others, some of the very interesting characters involved in the craft beer scene here. The other thing I really like about it is whilst everyone is obviously in competition because they're they're working in a, a capitalist environment, there's also a very strong sense of camaraderie. They, I think they recognise that having the cluster of breweries here in the inner west is is good for, for everybody and, in fact, the, the brewery 
trails and tours. You know, we, it's, it's a pretty strong inbound tourism strategy for us. There's a lot of people who come to the inner west to visit, you know, a number of breweries on, on, um, on any given Saturday or Sunday. Uh, so it's a very unique industry, uniquely inner west in a way. And uh, so we, we, we set a goal of being the national capital of craft brewing. Now, that's not something the government needs to engineer, but something that the government can do more to support because it's already happening organically. Yeah, well, and, and that was a good lead into to my next question because I recall reading that you famously said back a, a couple of years ago, I think it was 2018, that you, know, you want the Inner West to be for craft beer what the Hunter Valley and the Barossa are to Australian wine. So, and I know that the, the Inner West Council has played a, a very big role in, in pushing for better local and state government reform within the craft beer industry. So are, are you able to, I guess, talk about what some of these major reforms or that, that I guess that you've made for the, for the industry, um, not just for the Inner West, but I'm sure it's reverberated in, in other council areas and states? Well, the central problem is that the planning laws aren't set up to cater for craft breweries. They, there's no, the, the planning legislation is very complicated and arcane and it, it was written at a time when craft breweries didn't exist. So we'd been, basically each brewery that had been coming into what was formerly Marrickville Council and then the Inner West Council, there's only a couple outside of the Marrickville area, one of which is, is Wayward. Each brewery that had been coming in had been going through their own arduous process of trying to work out how they could get a DA approved. And, of course, their, their approval doesn't just depend upon council but upon the, the liquor regulator as well and and the police. And so it's very, you know, there's that, it's not just breweries are affected by this but live music venues as well. There's three different agencies that you, that you um, have to get your approval through and that someone can complain about you through. So if you get someone who moves next door to a long-standing pub or live music venue and wants to complain about the noise, they can go to the council, they can go to the police and they can go to the liquor regulator and start three different investigations. We've seen a lot of live music venues go bust over the years because that's such an expensive and litigious process. So most of the breweries that have set up have you know, done it through determination and ingenuity, finding a way to navigate through the planning system what we really need is a new uh, regulation under the planning legislation that recognises craft breweries. Now, the government put something forward at our, our, our request a couple of years ago that was meant to do that, uh, which said, you know, artisan food and drink on premise was a new category they were going to set up where basically to allow for industrial premises where beer could be brewed at a wholesale scale, uh, but to allow for food and drink to be served ancillary to that. Uh, what we found, though, is that it, it hasn't really worked. Um, I, I'm not aware of a single application um, so far that's actually most of the brewers who've been trying to open have been trying to use that new SEP um, under the, that's what it's called, under the, the state planning legislation, but it hasn't resulted in approvals. And, in fact, I'm registered to speak tomorrow at a, a planning panel meeting in support of an application from White Bay Brewing, uh, which is a new brewer that's set up in Balmain, just down the street from the, the White Bay Power Station, just across the road from the Bald Rock Hotel. And so they've been up and running, selling wholesale through. They, they actually opened their doors just about the same week as the lockdown began. Mm. Um, so not a great time to be starting uh -huh. a new business. And they've now 
gone through, uh, had to jump through a lot of hoops to try and get an application to have their bar opened. And the recommendation from the council officers is for refusal. Uh, it will be a state government panel that will actually make the determination about the application. So I've registered to go along and speak in support of the brewery because having had a close look at it, I, I think they've demonstrated that there's um, there's not going to be negative impacts from them opening and that there will be a lot of positive impacts instead. So we really need, we just need a recognition under the planning laws, which uh, that craft brewing is an industry, that it has a business model that involves both wholesale and face-to-face -face retail sales, and that they have to be co-located. And uh, it can't be beyond the, the, the ability of the New South Wales Planning Department to, to get that fixed. And if we can get that, then the industry will have certainty across New South Wales. You won't be at the, you won't be dependent upon the interpretation of an individual planning officer at a council. Everyone will know where they stand. And I think you'll see a lot more breweries opening. Yeah, well, uh, I, I mean, how many is in your local area now? I've lost track. At last last count in Marifal, there was 14, and that's not including the gin distillers as well. So there's there's new new um, new breweries opening all the time. Filter went to a lot of trouble to make sure that they could locate their new premises in Marifal. They had a difficult time through the planning process as well, but they're up and running opposite the, the Marifal Bowling Club and, and going great guns. So, you know, we're very lucky that we've got this emerging industry that can be a tourist attraction and creates lots of local jobs that happens to have taken off organically without government instigation. We just now need to modernise the way that local and state government approaches the sector so that we don't hinder it and get in the way. Yeah. And, and do you know of any other local councils, either, I guess, here in Sydney or New South Wales, that are taking a leaf out of the Inner West Council's book in regards to you know, better lobbying efforts for the craft beer industry? I think we've had a real self-interest in it because there's just there's such a cluster here. Uh, so we've deliberately tried to take the lead in advocating for a change to the laws. Uh, and I guess where a lot of the brewers do gypsy brewing while they're just getting set up before they actually have a premises is further out west. So, and I don't know whether the local councils there necessarily see that as um, as being a, a specifically local industry or just something that takes place in, in some of their industrial estates. Um, so I, I think the city of Sydney's got a few as well. There's lots on the northern beaches. But the truth is, if you look at how the industry has grown in places like North America, there's no limit to how big this can get. People's taste in, in beer is changing. And if we can get a, a fairer run for the little guys, the small brewers, through the planning system and through the taxation system, then this can become a really important export industry for Australia as well in the same way that wine is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think the last count of how many breweries there are in, in the States is over 8,000, I think. So, And there's more than what, what there was before Prohibition. And looking at the count here in Australia now, I think there's over 800 breweries now and seems to be growing at least 90 a year from from what I've worked out. I think Craft Beer Reviewer, one of their websites, details a lot of the the current breweries and, and new ones opening up. So it's, uh, it's definitely a, a growing market. And uh, a lot of the brewery owners that I've been sitting down with have, have been saying, find a, a regional area and build a brew pub and become become the, the main local for everyone. It seems to be 
a pastime that everyone's trying to get back to, you know, that local place where they all go and hang out and everyone knows each other. So, Yeah, exactly. And that's always been a big part of the culture here. Obviously, pub culture has been really what the inner west has been built on. I, I grew up in Balmain where there was... Uh, where it was famous for having more pubs per square metre than any other suburb in Australia. So the pub was really a bit like your lounge room. That's where you would go to to see friends and family and that's the value of, of living in a place like the Inner West. You can walk up the street, go to the pub or walk up to the main street and there's fun, vibrant, interesting things going on. You run into people you know, spend time with them in the public domain and the breweries have sort of just it integrated into that existing heritage and history and have become uh, I guess the next phase of that well um and if we've got time later on in the um interview uh, I'd, I'd like to get a, a bit more of your thoughts on the, the traditional Aussie pub versus the the emerging craft beer scene so because I've had a couple of guests come on saying it's a bit of a dying pastime the Aussie pub and, and and craft craft breweries are starting to become the new thing for families to sort of go to and spend their weekend so but like yeah. like to get a couple of your comments on that so I guess just moving into, I guess, the nitty gritty of um, of our conversation, Darcy, and a lot of my conversations with other brewery owners, the common theme amongst them has been that the local council process can be the most challenging and, and somewhat time-consuming aspect of any brewery's uh, journey to eventually opening. Um, and I know you've touched on a couple of the reasons why, but are you able to sort of walk us through, I guess, some of the, the main categories or main steps that... Uh, aspiring brewery owners need to sort of go through in the planning process of council? Well, I guess the first thing is finding a, a premises and that, and uh, there's fewer and fewer industrial premises left in the inner west. One of the reasons that Marrickville has been the hub is because there's still large swathes of industrial land in Marrickville, whereas in the former Leichhardt municipality, for example, so, you know, Leichhardt, Balmain, Lilyfield. Annandale, Roselle, there's almost no employment lands left. Basically, state governments over a long period of time have rezoned industrial sites for residential development, which lots of them are lovely places to live, but we're rapidly approaching a situation where you're not going to be able to find anywhere to go and get your car fixed at a mechanics and there's no, there's no locations for new businesses that actually make things to be able to set up. In Marrickville, that land in the Sydenham precinct has been protected and that's where you find most of the, the breweries are located in and around Sydenham Station and you know, Marrickville, St Peter's, Tempe. It, it's sort of, a, it'd probably be a two-kilometre radius that where you'd find almost all of those breweries. So finding the right location is a challenge and then approaching council, trying to, as I said, make use of the existing planning laws, which are not designed to allow for the opening of craft breweries. That they, you know, there's no essentially no provisions written into them that recognise the status of craft breweries. So most industrial operate traditional operate industrial operations, there's no allowance for serving food and drink. That's the crux of the problem. Mm. And you know, if you were running an automotive factory, you don't need that. But if you're running a brewery in the same way that if you were operating in the Hunter Valley selling wine, you need to have both components to your business. You need to produce in an industrial way, but you also need to be able to open your doors and have the local community come in to taste your products. So uh, to be fair to the council officers, I think there's been lots of examples of where they have been trying hard to make the, make the, the planning controls work. 
and the brewers because they've been so most of them are just so passionate about getting open and you know they've got a dream that they want to bring to life so they don't take no for an answer which is a pretty good tip what i think they do find very frustrating though is because the laws are so convoluted and arcane then often the advice that they get right at the start of the process when you go in for, say, a, a pre-DA to talk about, you know, here's this premises I've got, here's what I'm looking at doing, the advice that they get then, if later on that advice changes or they find out that they have to get a lot more reports done, consultants' reports, you know, acoustic reports, social impact assessments, um, all of those sorts of things, the cost really starts to add up. So I was talking before about White, White Bay Brewing. Their, their application is for a, a, a $200,000 job. So that's what the cost of the actual installation of the bar will cost. They tell me that they've now spent almost $100,000 on consultant reports wow. that they've been required to produce at council, which seems very onerous. And it's financially prohibitive. By definition, people who are setting up craft breweries are not big sort of corporate behemoths. They're generally local people who've decided to make a career change and pursue something that they're passionate about. So, and often they've invested their life savings into it. So that uncertainty, not knowing when your application will will be approved, not being able to guarantee from the start of the process what what it will cost you to undertake the approval, that's the thing that I think really gets people down. And, and I'd hoped that when the state government, in response to this problem, because it's not just a problem in the inner west, it's, it's right across Sydney and New South Wales, they introduced this new, new planning control which recognised artisan food and drink on premise uh, as a legitimate, a le- legitimate use under the planning laws for an industrial premises. But for reasons that I, I'm, I'm not an expert in it, so I, I, I won't um, pretend to explain why, but that you only have to look at the scoreboard. It has worked. Um, the, the, the breweries that are coming in with applications trying to make use of that planning control, it's not resulting in them being able to open and they're having to go back through the old methods of trying to work with a council officer to just find a way around the planning legislation, if you like, rather than um, just having a straightforward approval. So that's the crux of, of the problem. Um, I think you'd also find when you talk to the, the brewers that it's it, it's not just about council, as I mentioned before. It's the fact that at any given point in the approval process, either the police or the liquor regulator or the council officers can change their position or raise a new concern and you can be taken back to square one. So I, I, I understand the frustration that people have in that process because the councillors are legally prohibited from being involved in the development assessment process. We we don't vote on applications and um, we're really pretty clearly removed from the process. Um, My direct involvement is is very limited. What I do try to do is to give good advice and to be an advocate for local businesses who are trying to get up and running and to um, try and ensure that uh, where there is a problem that that the council organisation is responsive and rather than just giving them a, a, a no or a ticker box approach. Mm. And because the zoning for a, a brewery location, it's normally classed as light industrial, is that right? L, LN1 or LN2 or something like that, uh, depending on the council. LN1, yeah. yeah, LN1 and LN2, yeah. Yeah, so is there any scenarios 
where you've seen where there's sort of co-zoning where, you know, because, yes, a brewery is, you know, a manufacturer of a good, but it is also, like you're saying, a retail outlet as well and uh, a place of hospitality and, and so forth. I know that the, the drink on premises authorization um, you mentioned earlier is sort of tries to patch that over, but is there any sort of co-zoning in any councils that you know of or in, within inner west where it allows someone to be more closer to that retail area of a, of a city or a town? Well, as I say, the state planning legislation is the preeminent um guide to this so council's planning controls can only they they are required to fit in under state planning legislation so uh, the zonings that are allowable are a function of that legislation so councils can't go outside of that and there's no recognition of craft breweries or that or the business model in that in that state legislation Um, in fact the food and drink on premise provision that we've been discussing that's only a pilot was only going to run for 12 months initially. It's already over the 12-month mark. It was meant to be reviewed with the aim of refining it and making it something permanent that could apply across New South Wales. Because we were an amalgamated council and strategic planning is such a slow, laborious process, we've actually only just amalgamated the three planning controls at the local environment plans of Ashfield, Leichhardt and Marrickville councils. In that, we didn't really make any changes. We just did a straight translation so that we've now got one planning system in place for the whole of the LGA. And next year, we'll be looking at actually making changes to our planning controls in order to encourage the sorts of business activity that we want. And so it'll be a priority for me to work closely with the planning minister, Rob Stokes, to make sure that what we adopt in the inner west is that genuine breakthrough that makes that gives recognition to breweries gives them a clear path forward for their approval and and everybody's on the same page and has a clear understanding of the fact that this is a legitimate land use and that it does require both that wholesale and retail component. Yeah. Normally councils or state government will have uh, all these sort of documents or maps available to anyone interested to, to see what areas in their local area are available for like industrial zoning or or, or, or wherever? Because I guess you mentioned earlier, find a location, then engage council. But, you know, what if you find a location and it's not going to do you any good in terms of opening a brewery there? So I guess wanting to be informed about that area, if I find anything I like in it, then I know that there's a good chance I'd, I'd get approval to open up a brewery. Is, is that what maybe advice you would offer? Uh, my best advice would be don't try to negotiate the planning system by yourself unless you've got planning expertise or qualifications. The, um, the planning controls are so complex and dip, there's, it's not something that a, a layperson can easily understand. So it's not as simple yeah. as just looking at a map. Yes, that'll give you a guide to, you know, where the industrial zones are and where you'd, you'd look for a property, but that's a pretty simple thing to do. Yeah. The gap between that and actually getting an application submitted and approved is quite a leap. And so, unfortunately, it is an expensive process. And and the advice I always provide to people is don't go into it without professional assistance. You do need, do it as cheaply as possible, but you do need a town planner to prepare the application and ensure that it's in accordance with the controls. Yeah, and I guess um, what I was talking about in regards to, you know, the map and um, is before sitting down with councils, having, I guess, an idea of, of 
research these areas. Uh, this this seems to be a light industrial area. Can you and then getting confirmation from them, saying that you're on the right path or no, there's some issues in that area. We need to dive a little bit deeper. So I guess um, yeah, I, I I know that when I was I'd be looking at opening my own brewery, I'd be engaging the services of a town planner or, or someone with a lot of experience in that space. And that's been some advice from other brewery owners uh, on this show so far as well. Yeah. Absolutely. And I know that this, this next question is, is probably more of a, a federal issue, but I wouldn't mind getting your thoughts on it just in regards to small breweries again. But a lot of brewery owners I've spoken to have, have talked about the, the unfair competitive nature that the excise tax system is to the smaller breweries um, compared to large, big national players, um, you know, just in regards to tap real estate and some of the the quid pro quo when it comes to, uh, you know, a new bar opening up or, you know, um, you know, they might give them a glycol system to sort of get their beers on tap or something like that. Uh, do you, Pete Phillip talks a lot about this um, unfair competitive nature in, in the, the liquor industry. Any comments you wish to share about that? Yeah, I'll tell you a funny story. When we, we first held the meeting that, that led to the formation of the Inner West Brewers Association, Myself and, and Anthony Albanese hosted an event with all of the brewers in attendance just to talk through the challenges that they were facing and, you know, a lot of them raised the issues that we've already been discussing around the planning and approval system. But the other big one was the taxation system, which was at that time just completely and utterly discriminatory towards small brewers. Funnily enough, we there was some reportage about that event that we'd held and, you know, it was in one of the craft beer magazines or something like that. And then I got a phone call a couple of days later from a, a representative from Lion Nathan complaining that we ha- that they hadn't been invited to the forum and uh, explaining that they have some, you know, some policy issues that they wanted advocacy on and um, as well. And I thought it was a prank call at first. I said, well, I don't know that Lion Nathan has quite the same challenge in getting their views across to government as these small businesses in the inner west do. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I assume the guy who was calling me was a lobbyist from Lion Nathan. I don't, I don't know any craft brewer who can afford to employ a lobbyist. No. But it was quite a, um, it was startling for me to learn about just how unequal the treatment was between large brewers and small brewers and the fact that the taxation was higher just based on uh, if your production was, was lower. Certainly seems the opposite of the approach that we would take with most other sectors and then from that point, Anthony tabled a, um, tabled a motion in the parliament to try to have the issue addressed. And I understood that, that Morrison, when he was treasure, treasurer, had announced that he was going to do something to fix it. I can't remember the specific details. You might know, uh, recall more about it than me. And I don't know whether that's another example of him um, announcing something but then not following through on it. But I'm not sure exactly where it's up to now. Are you, are you familiar with uh, whether any of those changes have been made? No, no, I know that um, Radio Brews News uh, follow a lot of that tap real estate and um, the tax excise system when it comes to the the big players, the smaller guys. So I tend to follow a little bit of what they sort of commentate on. But uh, I know that there there is some steps towards making it a bit more fair and democratic when it comes to bars allowing small breweries to have a couple taps on it at one time and um, I think there was I don't know if it was the IBA that put forward that um, they were deeming it to be 
almost almost to the point where it was unethical of being able to give it some sort of kickback to a pub owner or publican, you know, 20 grand investment in their bar or, or you know, their, their draft system in exchange for complete dominance of all their taps, you know what I mean? And it, it, it's, it was basically phrased that that was anti-competitive nature. And yeah, it, it, it sounds like something like a maf- mafioso, you know, sort of story of I'll flick you a little bit here if you make sure that my product's in the front window sort of thing, you know? Well, I think the, the truth is that the big old school brewers are very, very powerful corporations mm. with billions and billions of dollars behind them. So breaking into that market, it was always going to be challenging, but there does need to be a change to the that, – that excise system was developed at a time before craft brewing was really a, a significant component of the sector. So, you know, that, that taxation – those taxation arrangements do need to be updated and made fairer. One good thing in the inner west, though, is that sort of monopolistic practice where where Lion Nathan, for example, or, or another one of the um, the big corporates might seek to crowd to block out other smaller brewers from being able to get their beers on tap. That just doesn't work here. In fact, if you're a local pub in the inner west and you don't have at least some of the local beers on tap, you're going to see it's going to hurt you commercially because people will stop coming into the pub. Um, it's become that sort of central component of um, of the culture here now. Mm. So I, I can't think of, you know, I visit quite a few pubs and uh, I can't think of any that don't stock any local local brewers at all. And there's some of them now, lots of them, where it's predominantly local brewers that you'll, that you'll find on tap there. Yeah, well, I, I guess it's, and I was talking to another guest in an earlier episode where the further you seem to get out of the city, like the more suburbia areas of the city, is where you start to see more of that, you know, dominance from the big boys. Um, you know, there's a yep. lot of artisan-type culture in the sort of metropolitan areas of, of most cities and, you know, especially in those Newtown, Marrickville areas, the culture has changed and flipped on its head and the big boys are finding it hard. They're even starting to uh, purchase their own little craft breweries and, you know, trying to call them independent, but, um, you know, we all know who really owns them and who operates them, but especially yeah. out in, in my like area. Coca-Cola buying other, a bit like Coca-Cola buying out all the other soft drinks over the years. Yeah, yeah. Well, even the, I think they've even got Yender Pale Ale is one of theirs. You know, that's starting to be, that's all in your Silver Spurs and Lone Stars and all your major restaurant chains. So that just came out of nowhere and only a big boy like Coca-Cola can make that happen. So, but yeah. Out in my area in Penrith in, in Western Sydney, you know, you've still got this very big club nature, you know, RSLs, leagues, clubs, and, you know, the typical sort of pokies to your right, Kino on the telly above you, and, you know, you've just got your CUB beers or Line Nathan beers. And, you know, but it, it is starting to get that way, but we're slowly feeling that effect of what I guess has been created in areas like the inner West. And uh, it's exciting, but it's a slow sort of push. And I guess uh, what's already come to mind to me is it's just a matter of changing the culture and educating people about, you know, there's a different side to be, you know, it's not all four X two is new and, you know, super dry. It's, you know, try, try these beers that actually have flavor, you know what I mean? And might, might um, appeal to that sort of class of people that drink, Yes, uh, and that's why I really want to get into the industry as well. In my area, it's it's a, a, a not a well supplied market out in the Western Sydney, and new airports coming in. So uh, I guess it's only going to get bigger. 
Yeah, that's right. And I think it's also a big opportunity in lots of regional towns um, yeah. where that, that are highly dependent upon tourism. There's lots of successful examples already. But be a smart thing for state and federal governments to do to encourage the proliferation of more local breweries because they, they generate local jobs, they help to contribute to attracting tourists and they become, you know, a part of the local culture, yeah, a, a gathering place as we've already discussed. So I, I, I'd be great if we, we want to continue to go from strength to strength in the inner west, but it'd be great if the incentives and the systems were put in place by government so that we saw more and more small breweries opening throughout the suburbs and the regions, each with their own local identity and local following. Yeah, absolutely. Just just moving on to, I guess, uh, I know we will, a lot of the conversation has been a lot of industry insights um, uh, as well as the, the council process, but I always like to, to hear my guests views and opinions on on the industry and the future of the industry and where do you see craft beer in the future in the next five to ten years um uh, not just in the inner west but across the country well i think we've got to aim at the at the export market there's just such an enormous opportunity there which you can already see well you can see in, in what's happened with china over the last week where they've turned off the tap from australian wine exports Whilst that has been very damaging, um, not pointing to that as a positive thing, it shows you just how big Australian wine has become in China. And when you've got a market of, um, you know, one and a half billion people, uh, if you can get any kind of foothold in that, there's enormous uh, there's enormous export opportunities and a lot of money that can be made for Australia. So that should be the aim. I, I think the wine industry has been a very, very effective advocate. So, you know, they're down in Canberra all the time lobbying the politicians. Everybody knows how important the wine industry is to the Australian economy. But we need for small brewers to to take on the same sort of advocacy and be more organised and insistent upon getting support from the government because there is so much economic opportunity uh, through the sector. The other thing that I think would be good would be um, if, if the if the industry could be a little bit more diversified in terms of gender. There's a, a good friend of mine named Chrissy Flanagan, who she had Chrissy's Cuts, which was a sausage, a gourmet sausage business in Dulwich Hill. She's just about to open her, her brewery or just has. Um, she just started brewing. But she's one of the one of a very small number of women that I know who are in the sector. I think it's fair to say, probably about beer generally, but certainly about the craft craft beer sector as well it's pretty blokey yeah um that's something that we should seek to change because it also limits it limits the um limits the patronage and the sales absolutely um, yeah a lot of women out there who enjoy good beer a very untapped um, market yeah yeah exactly and um so we've got to be very conscious of not having it not having it appear to be or be in practice a sector that doesn't engage with women. So the more that we can see women coming through as brewers and being employed as brewers and being the face of breweries, that I think that will be a good thing as well and will help mm. to to grow the market. Yeah, well, the um, Two Birds girls, uh, you know, they, they made some great leaps and bounds for, for that exact element that you're talking about with women in, in the industry. So it, it is refreshing to hear. And, and I guess just maybe a good lead into... My next question I want to get, um, what we touched on earlier, 
about the traditional Aussie pub model or pastime. I was talking to Neil Cameron. I don't know if that name rings a bell, but well-known in the craft beer space, um, is, is a brewery consultant from Brutique. He talks about that. Uh, he, he feels that the traditional pub model is is the days are numbered and people are, are starting to gravitate to more family-oriented type venues, um, not, not your traditional Kino and pokies and but beer gardens and play equipment and uh, you know bring in your dogs and um, and that sort of you know band in the corner playing and uh, do you see that that trend starting to shift towards that uh, you know pubs are maybe a bit outdated now. Uh, I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I, my focus is so much on the inner west where we still have a very strong thriving pub culture. In fact, I'm trying to get heritage controls put in place because one of the challenges we've got here is um, uh, developers purchasing pubs and then closing them in order to convert them into, you know, residential or or some other usage, uh, which has never been a problem in the past. But I think, and I'm also very aware of the fact that publicans are not always happy about breweries, about breweries opening the view that they've expressed to me, which I'm not agreeing with, but which, you know, I think it's important to understand is, well, you know, what would the average pub price be of a liquor licence in a pub in Sydney? You know, call it 10 mil plus, whereas breweries can go in and set up and and act in some ways like a pub for a, a much lower cost. The point I've made to a few publicans who've raised that with me is it's not actually that cheap to go and buy the equipment to to, to establish no. a brewery. It's a huge capital investment. Maybe not quite commensurate with buying a pub in inner city Sydney, but it's still not something that you can do at the on a whim. It involves huge investment. So I think COVID will also have resulted in, in a change. It's just very noticeable to me that right at the moment people are tending to flock to outdoor venues, bowling clubs and other uh, and places with beer gardens and, and open spaces. It may well be that that trend continues even after we've got the, the virus under control. I, I think there's a very, there's just a very stark different culture between the, the inner metropolitan area and suburban areas. In fact, in a way, the pub culture in regional towns and in the bush is almost a bit closer to what it is in the inner city where the, the pub is is a part of people's everyday life and it's, it's as I was saying before, like the, an extension of your lounge room yeah. or, or a community hub. That's very different, I think, to most of Australia, which is suburban, um, lots and lots of suburbs in Australia without any pub at all. Um, so, But I, I definitely think whether it's, whether it's at a brewery or it's at, at a pub or a club, there's that hunger and thirst for a sense of community. People want to go and spend time together with their family and friends and their neighbours in the public domain, uh, especially now that we've, uh, you know, a lot of us have been locked up over most of this year. I think people will be desperate to get out and have a good summer and a good 2021 doing that, that sort of thing uh, a lot of the time. So uh, I, I'm no expert on, on what those trends might be, but if the emergence of craft brewing can mean that there's more of those spaces that are opening in suburbs across Australia, that'll be a really good thing. Um, Because as I said at the start, 
the community element and the sense of community that comes with a local brewery that the neighbours all come down to on a regular basis, that's been probably the best thing of the emergence of craft brewing in the inner west. Mm. Well, Darcy, I really do appreciate you sparing some time. I know you're an extremely busy man and um, glad that we're able to finally line up uh, some time to sort of get you on and share your thoughts about the craft beer space. But uh, any any closing thoughts or advice regarding, you know, aspiring brewery owners and engaging with local council, et cetera? Well, my final thought is that I'm looking forward to coming out to the opening of your brewery out at Penrith. I'll, yeah. I'll ring up the mayor of Penrith as well. And we'll both pop down for a beer. I'll be look, looking forward to trying the produce. Yeah, well, uh, I guess the pressure is heaping on now. I'm, I'm, I'm telling everyone, um, you know, I'm going around the industry saying, you know, I'm looking at opening my own brewery, but you know, this podcast is simply just to gather information and share it with um, like-minded people. But I guess I'm really going to have to open this thing. I guess so. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's the good thing about going out and announcing your intention to do something good exactly you the pressure on yourself to make it happen exactly exactly but um well uh thanks again mayor darcy burns for coming on the build me brewery podcast beauty thanks for your time Thanks for listening to the Build Me A Brewery podcast. That concludes our brewery licensing and government compliance segment. Our next segment, we dive into brewery consulting and quality management, where I sit down with some well-known names and professionals within the brewing industry, including Neil Cameron from Brewteek, Steve Hendo from Rockstar Brewer, and Daniel VB, as his brewer's name uh, he likes to go by, uh, McCulloch from Lalamand. As always, if you are liking the podcast so far and find the content useful, please give us a follow and rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow us on all our social media handles as well as visiting our website, www.buildmeabrewery.com.au. Much more complimentary content will be coming your way if you sign up to our mailing list. I'm Chris Hayton, your host, and this is the Build Me A Brewery podcast.